Hello, and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast, where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and joining me is TechCrunch Startups VC IPO and everything reporter, Alex Wilhelm. Alex, thank you so much for running this Twitter Spaces with me. I love Twitter Spaces, and I don't care what the topic is about, I'd be here. But the fact that we're talking about (laughs) this particular merger and these companies is awesome, because it's a fascinating moment in time, and so I'm just hyped to be here. Yes, exactly. I mean, we are um, obviously coming at you live. We're going to be turning this whole chat into a podcast and expect it to be on the web this weekend. But the news item we're talking about today is Headspace and Ginger are merging to form Headspace Health. That new organization could be a combined value of $3 billion. We're going to talk about an 800-person company. And it's a big moment, I would say, for mental health, digital health, and anyone really, who has been paying attention to these meditation apps over the past few years. We're seeing them take a pretty big step into being a more clinically validated company. So that was the news this morning. I feel like I have recruited some of our favorite people to give us their hot takes. But Alex, I wanted to first turn to you to give everyone else a little context on Headspace, because I know you've covered their rise over the past few years. Yeah. So Headspace to me has always been kind of part and parcel with Calm, the two kind of, if you will, leading North American meditation apps and one thing that I think a lot of people uh, missed, and I, I almost did myself over the last couple of years, is how big they've gotten. These are companies that are driving, you know, eight and maybe even nine figure revenues. They're worth quite a lot of money, but not just because they're a mobile app, which is, used to be a cool thing, but because they're big companies. And uh, if you go over to Crunchbase, they've both raised north of 200 million. So they've obviously found a lot of venture capital backing. So when we're discussing this particular merger, it isn't just Headspace plus another company creating something very, very neat. To me, it's also... What are they doing contra other companies in the space to try to set themselves apart? And how are we going to see these companies differentiate long term? So I'm hyped for the hot takes, but also I'm a meditation fan and I used to be a uh, Headspace customer. So it's fun to talk about them in this kind of sense. Okay, sweet. Yeah. I mean, I think even speaking of well-capitalized businesses, Ginger most recently raised $100 in March, which I actually want to unpack later on in our conversation. It's a pretty close raise before a merger. They are what I would say as defined as on-demand mental health care. A lot of what they do is bringing people in top of funnel, giving them text-based care kind of anytime when they need it, and then helping them escalate or de-escalate based on what they're going through in that moment of time. Russell Glass, their founder, when I spoke to him, kind of talked to me about how that is a better way to scale Therapy, because not everyone always needs to be on video all the time. Or or in person. I mean, one fact about the American therapy and psychiatry market is that there's an enormous imbalance between people who need care and number of caregivers. And so what I'm curious about long term, Natasha, is is how text-based care or text-based interactions can scale and how they can impact individuals. Because I have been in, in traditional therapy for years because I need it. Uh, And it's been super great. But, you know, if I didn't have insurance that would cover it, this might be a thing that I would have pursued as a more, you know, personally cost effective option. So I'm cautiously optimistic about the uh, larger gender model. Yeah. I mean, all innovation is good when it means that there's like access involved and broadening of access. That's always a fun part about covering mental health startups. But I want to pivot to bringing up some of our guest speakers to share their first reactions on the news. First, I'll bring up Dina Shakir. She's a partner at Lux Capital. And um, also my one of my go to speed dial people whenever anything breaks in digital health. So, Dina, I thought we could start off with you and just honestly get your first reaction to the news this morning. Thank you, Natasha. It's fun to be a part of the live banter with you and Alex always yeah. a fan of, of the equity podcast. You know, I think it's been a fascinating time for digital health and we've seen some really interesting M&A and consolidation happen 
across the board, not just in mental health. You know, we've seen it with Roe and modern fertility. It's clear that there is more of a connective tissue, if you will, between wellness, whether it's CPG products or a meditation app or sleep stories, and as you said, clinically validated care. And I think that's clearly where the future is going. Integrative care that spans, you know, everything from from meditation to, you know, prescription, digital and traditional therapeutics. And that's what patients are demanding. And, and I think that's what we're seeing reflected in some of these mergers. Dina, is there an analog to like fintech bundling that we've seen in the kind of broader mental health and wellness space? Because it sounds like when you were describing these combinations that it almost feels like we're talking about companies that are kind of bringing together individual feature sets to create one, you know, larger super app, or in this case, you know, wellness experience. Yeah, you know, I've actually um, spoken with a few folks about this this parallel between fintech and health tech, and I think that's a really apt observation. Uh, you know, I in in the case of healthcare, at the end of the day, it's patients and providers and payers. Like, right, those are sometimes pharma, the key stakeholders here. And uh, there are only so many point solutions that somebody can adapt to. And unfortunately, we still don't have you know, enough connectivity on the data side between these platforms. So the more that patients can find what they're looking for in one place, the better experience they're going to have, the better outcomes they're going to have. You know, at the end of the day, hopefully the better health we'll have as a population. I want to bring in Chrissy here. Chrissy's a investor at Omer's Ventures and former digital health reporter, the digital health reporter um, at CNBC. Chrissy, I'm really curious, like when you saw the news this morning, based on your reporting and, and investments in the space, did it feel like a natural thing to happen or did it feel like a surprise? No, this actually felt very natural. And, and thanks for asking, Natasha. Um, so, you know, when I was back at CNBC, uh, I wrote a story in 2020 about Calm, um, a big headspace competitor and Lyra, a ginger competitor, partnering up um, for, for something very similar. It wasn't a, quite a full-blown merger, but I, oh. I do remember... Yeah, so there is a little bit of a precedent here. Um, and I remember at the time, both companies saying that, that they just had increased sort of demand from their members to to join up. Some people want therapy, some people wanted meditation and mindfulness, some people wanted a combination of the two. And so, uh, you know, that was a natural fit in my mind. And so this feels like a reaction to that, but an even more extreme one, given that these two companies have, have really come together in this way. Yeah, I was actually immediately wondering about if this was just a way to compete with Lyra Health, because that does feel like the bigger company here. But do you feel like this gives them a fighting chance or do you think they're different enough that they're not necessarily directly competitive now with such similar acquisition strategies? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. I actually think behavioral health is big enough for there to be multiple big winners in this space. And Toyer World, you see Ginger and Lyra and then a few others as well, like Modern and Spring kind of really being dominant. And during the pandemic, demand for these sorts of services just increased um, exponentially, both in terms of just sheer numbers, but also the severity of what patients were experiencing. And and I've just heard that kind of across the board. You also see health plans really starting to care about behavioral health and make it a priority in a, in a way that you didn't see before the pandemic. So, you know, I think there's going to be more consolidation here, like, like Dina said, and then also several really big winners. And I think now with this merger, you're going to see Ginger and, and Headspace among them. I have a question about that, Chrissy. So when we think about employer-sponsored benefits in the broader health space, 
Do those end up getting actually used by employees? Because I, I hear a lot about companies that are trying to work through corporations to provide services to employees, but I've never been super clear on how effective of a distro or GTM model that is. This is a huge problem, Alex. You basically hit the nail on the head here. Um, a lot of these benefits teams, they're all in on digital health, but what they're finding in some cases is just very low digit utilization. Part of the problem is just like marketing. How do you get your employees to even be aware that this benefit exists? For mental health though, I just keep hearing kind of that, you know, it's something that members are asking for, they're increasingly using, they are aware that it exists and it's something that they don't really have an alternative to because, oh my God, I mean, think about the process of, of finding a therapist on your own. Like I, the last time I, I needed a therapist, I probably had to call 12 people before anybody kind of was available and nobody took insurance. So it's just so challenging that I think that's why it's sort of migrated to the employer. And these companies are all very good at making sure that that therapist is actually available for new patients. Yeah, no, finding a therapist is, is incredibly difficult. I got a little bit lucky with mine. Uh, my spouse who works in the medical world directed me to someone who then directed me to someone else and that worked out. But I mean, gosh, that's not a chain that most people can leverage. And so it's just a shockingly opaque system. I mean, ever been on psychology today, it's just that's the best we have right now. And it's just years out of date. I think navigation ends up being like a theme. I'm talking to investors and founders about like every week in EdTech and in digital health. Alyssa, I want to bring you up too. You're an investor at Seven Wire Ventures. I think one bit that I'm really interested in talking about is we all know consolidation is happening more. People want navigation help. Where do you see consolidation going next? after today's news, but just, you know, in recent weeks, seeing all the digital health companies that have begun to join forces. Look, I think we can't discredit what a behemoth this makes this entity. You know, I looked at some of the stats. I think that they now, the combined entity has a reach of 100 million plus consumers across 190 countries. And they're working with, you know, I think it's 2,700 employers and health plan partners. And so this becomes a real player in the BH space, I actually feel pretty strongly. I know we've talked a little bit about the benefits of wellness and you know some of the offerings, but to Alex's point, you know who's using it on behalf of the employer. And frankly, I think wellness taps out as you start to swim into real B two B material contracts. Because as we look at you know, the broader behavioral health market, to me, the real opportunity and where there's an underserved population is in high acuity. And so if you think about, you know, where I, I think there's going to be even more consolidation and maybe this becomes, you know, one of the biggest players that starts to buy more of these entities and grow the higher acuity arsenal. But frankly, on the supply side, you know, low acuity is going to start to become more commoditized, right? Where we classify headspace as wellness. Um, but there's in the SMI, severe mental illness space, there's a number of companies that are popping up. Um, that really are, have superior clinical outcomes are delivering very impressive virtual care and supporting the communities in ways that I think some of these lower acuity companies can't. So I'd like to see more investment, more opportunity in SMI. I think that's where 80% of the spend is in healthcare, even though 80% of digital health companies will start in lower acuity. And I think that this now makes the Headspace Ginger combo company, you know, this Headspace Health, a real acquirer for some of those companies to continue to grow. A question also about that. So do you think we're going to see 
startups targeting lower acuity mental health issues and matters kind of go up the acuity stack, almost like how we see other startups approach SMBs first and then build towards supporting enterprise customers later on? Yeah, I think it's a hard way to do that, a company to do that organically. It's much easier, I think, to do it more acquisitively. It's not impossible, right? If we take a non-healthcare example of Salesforce and their low-end disruption strategy, build something that's you know built for the SMB market and not as strong, continue to swim upstream, build, build, build. But frankly, I, you know what I've seen, and I'm an investor in two BH companies and one that's particularly focused on severe mental illness, starting with obsessive compulsive disorder. But what I've seen is being purpose-built for those communities drives really strong adoption and thus then also builds on the clinical outcomes. It's pretty hard, I think, for these companies to now to go after all of these different SMIs Frankly, you know, a question I have is, can all SMIs be treated virtually? And this is someone who's a almost exclusively digital health investor uh, who invests in virtual care. But how are we going to service those populations? Can one company do it all? Probably not organically. I think that they have to acquire to be successful. I wish we could ask you guys to name names of companies you think might be potential acquisition targets, but I'm guessing that won't happen um, unless someone wants to chime in. You can demand it from them and then watch them awkwardly not answer it. That's always a lot of fun. Chrissy, Chrissy, who's going to get acquired next? We're so good at being evasive. So they're okay. so good at it. No, I, there, I know. There was one company that I was thinking about, Dina, um, SteadyMD, because that company helps other companies kind of spin up telehealth services. I may be butchering it. But it helps them spin up telehealth services in order to serve customers. But is is do you think how, how do you think Steady Health kind of fits into this conversation that Alyssa brought up of like things are going to become commoditized soon? How are you going to stay competitive as a digital health behavioral health company? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Natasha. And you know, I love any chance to talk about uh, Steady MD. You know, there is definitely going to be more of the sort of M and A that we that we're talking about here and that we're seeing. But that's not an option for every company out there, and not every company wants to own a provider group and, and or you know become a provider group. And so the way I think about you know SteadyMD, which for those who are not familiar, is a company that provides a platform service, including software and staffing, all different types of providers, primary care and mental health, to enable companies to start delivering care. They work with a number of very large companies that are out there. And so that to me, it's almost like a, a stripe model, if you will, right? The under the sort of plumbing, the the back end that will enable all these different types of folks. You know, we've seen Dollar General store now it has become has decided they're going to start providing care. Walmart obviously has been doing this for quite some time. Amazon Care, all of these companies that are moving into the space. I know firsthand having uh, you know built Google's first uh, HIPAA compliant product, how difficult that is. And so I believe that there's a growing massive opportunity for players like SteadyMD to enable that kind of care delivery at scale. Can we can we just back up for a second? Did you say Dollar General is offering this sort of care to their employees? Because I did not think that business had the margin. Who isn't offering it now? I mean, this is, this is going to be something I think we're going to see a lot more of now. I'm waiting for Nordstrom to start offering it. Uh, did you see Nordstrom's earnings report? I don't think that's going to be coming very soon. Ouch. So it's, it's not my fault they're not growing from 2019 numbers. It's their fault. So we all need to go shopping. Uh, apparently, and shopping in, in real life, uh, because someone's got to save the malls from themselves, I suppose. Yeah, I'm happy to step up. <laughs> thank thank you for your service, Dina. <laughs> a question for anyone who is still unmuted, but like, I'm curious about the, the scale of consolidation we're kind of expecting, because there's two kinds of, of deals that I tend to think about. One is 
like the one we're talking about, a large deal, two well-funded companies kind of joining forces. And then there's consolidation of larger companies buying smaller startups and kind of getting the people and some product and maybe a little bit of growth on the side. Do you think we're going to see more of the, the bigger combinations or more of the smaller acquisitions as we move forward in kind of mental health consolidation? Yeah, maybe Alex, I'll, I'll jump in the start. I'll tell you what I think we'll see and what I want us to see. Frankly, what I think we're going to see is the latter. I think it's going to be a lot of these companies saying, I really need to have some type of behavioral health offering. There's a lot of really interesting early to mid-stage behavioral health companies. I can build this in as a tuck-in acquisition where we can now say, hey, we have this type of solution. We have this type of offering, particularly as it relates to, I actually think, self-insured employers who are getting so fatigued right now by point solutions. Frankly, what do I want to see? This market, this space is absolutely massive. Chrissy made a great point. It's not winner take all here. That particularly in COVID, what we've seen in the pressures of mental health, the anxiety, depression, suicide, or suicidal thoughts or tendencies that have come up, frankly, is, is, is only going to get worse. And so I'd like to see more of the Teladoc Lavangos, more of the Headspace Gingers um, as these companies continue to grow versus, hey, let's you know, pop in something for a, a nominal amount just to you know, add or round out our offering. And I'll just add something to Alyssa's comment. Um, the other thing that I think we'll start to see is you know, many of us have investments and portfolio companies in, in other areas, whether it's kind of MSK or whether it's diabetes or women's health. And all of these spaces or companies are realizing that they themselves should have a behavioral health strategy. Like just think about women's health, for instance, like, you know, women who who have kids are at risk of postpartum depression. And very often it, it's highly challenging to find a therapist at that moment when you're completely overwhelmed with, with caring for a newborn. So if a company is treating you from a kind of OBGYN kind of perspective onwards and in your kind of postpartum period, then finding you a therapist in that moment, I mean, I think of it as kind of the, the side door approach for behavioral health is, is making it a piece of all of these other types of companies. I think that's the other thing that we'll see. And I don't know yet whether it's in the form of partnerships or it's acquisition. Chrissy, I think what the company we need to have someone found is literally just like connectors between people in need and therapists, because I think that this, this problem has come up a couple of times in this call. And also like just in, in my life with my friends, I mean, I, Maybe that's something that someone should build. I don't know how it would make money, but people also fund Instacart. So, you know, maybe that's not super important. <laughs> yep. And can we also, as a, as a piece of this company, kind of figure out how we can use our insurance to get therapy? And there are certainly companies doing that and some really good ones, I think, that are coming up. But that's, that's another huge challenge is just the cash pay piece of this. I mean, therapists are charging upwards of, you know, $150, $200 an hour, and very few people can pay for it. I think when it comes to mental health, the only one who's kind of getting any level of, of care and service that they need is maybe that wealthy person in an urban setting, and everyone else is sort of struggling. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I knew something was broken, even though it's obviously we all feel it as consumers. When I was reporting on a company recently, their whole competitive advantage was just that they were going in network to provide therapy. And it just felt so backwards that that was the advantage hard stop, even to the point where I was cynical about if this company is going to be okay. And then I just dug into it more seeing that it's still something that's not a reality today. And I also think like one thing Ginger was really loud about before this merger was their goal to go D to C. 
and be pretty like serious about going to D to C going forward. And I'm wondering like what happens now if they're going to be built into Headspace's employer offering. And I don't know if any of us have the answer, but that was one thing I wanted to raise before this ends, which is like, where does D2C fit into all of this? Natasha, the interesting thing about D2C when it comes to healthcare delivery is it doesn't really exist. When you're talking about actual providers clinically offering care, there is a licensed provider, you know, on the other side of it. When you think about health equity and expanding care, as you mentioned, and Christy mentioned uh, to, to folks through payers, through insurance, in managed care, in Medicaid, it needs to be offered in, in, at scale. And whether it's in network, quote unquote, or, or through uh, other models, that is really the only way that we're going to address the root cause, the mental health crisis so many people are going through. And the fact that there is a severe supply shortage when it comes to no VC can create you know, massive supply uh, out of thin air. All we can do is fund companies whose technology is helping to enable that access to care. I want to take this in a slightly different direction because I know we'll have a couple of minutes. And more so there's... Alyssa, please go for it. Yeah, no, I was just going to say more so than even just supply. And and that's an entire challenge in itself, frankly, that we could probably spend this whole time on. But also the credentialing issue that we have right now, where to Chrissy's point, most of these folks... A lot of them actually do have some kind of benefit, especially as we think about health equity and what's covered. Problem is that there's just an issue with getting these providers credentialed, helping them to navigate and helping consumers navigate where where they land, where they have access, that frankly, they are so desperate that they end up doing cash pay. They can't do it anymore and they stop altogether. Natasha, can I just say thank you for doing these? I love it when you bring in founders and investors to these chats. I think it opens up a lot of access to folks who don't get to have these chats like we do all the time. It's good. Yeah. No, I feel like the best part of our job is having people on speed dial and group chats and just having people who are honest. So shout out Dina for making, for for putting together a chat of people who are willing to be super candid. And um, we will do Ginger a favor and include Russell's take in our our post about this on TechCrunch.com and in my newsletter and in all the newsletters this week. Appreciate all of you and we will let you go.